Well, I was a bit younger. I was getting ready to go into university, and I took a trip to meet my dad for the first time since I was very small. And to see my birthplace in Ireland, I know I've shared with some of you a couple of times before about this season in my life. And I spent much of my time on this trip in the southwest of Ireland doing something that I hadn't done much since I was a child, just letting myself get lost in nature, lost in God's creation. And I didn't pay attention to time. I, I paid attention to people and places, and I paid attention to the smallest details of the natural world around me like it was an important assignment. And I was a student being schooled by all things beauty. I, I spent most of the days um, up in the hillsides, and uh, I had a little journal in my hand and a, a small pen, and I would periodically sketch uh, drawings or poems, and I had my Bible with me, and I had big, tall boots, wellies, and I would march through moss and marsh, and I would climb up to a place with a view and let my mind wander for a while. And I got up beyond where there was the water and the bay, and there were sheep beyond the roads and peat farmers tending to their land, and I climbed over into a valley over stone walls. And I did something kind of sacred. I watched as ants and beetles climbed over stones, over patches of brown and green, and sometimes I let soft rains or showers make me soaking wet. <laughs> Magical. And in that time, I was alert to some things that I was often too busy to see. And I was reading scripture. I had my Bible with me, and I was reading the psalmist's words and the hope and the ache of those laments and those promises, I joined my voice with the words that God's people have spoke through the ages, and they were my words too. And I joined my voice with Jesus, the words that Christ would have spoken to the Father in the temple and in the times he drew away from the crowds of people. His words to the Father were my words to the Father, too. And in that spacious place, it was hard to mask my deepest self. I was thirsty. Thirsty for beauty. Thirsty for God's help. I was asking him for more of it. Do you know what it is to be thirsty? Do you know what it is to come to spacious places or moments when you experience God's beauty in a way that is beyond your words, gives you a little bit of awe? Mary Oliver is a um, poet, and in her book entitled Thirst, she writes in an epilogue by the same title, Thirst, these words, can I ask you to do something? Can you put on your poetry ears for me and listen to this creative language for a moment? 
She says, another morning and I wake with the thirst for the goodness I do not have. I walk out to the pond and all the way God has given us such beautiful lessons. Oh Lord, I was never a quick scholar, but sulked and hunched over my books past the hour and the bell. Grant me in your mercy a little more time. Love for the earth and love for you are having such a long conversation in my heart. Who knows that I will be sent, yet already I have given a great many things away, expecting to be told to pack nothing, except the prayers, which with this thirst, I am slowly learning. It's slow work to learn from God's beauty. I'm grateful for Mary Oliver's words these words that are beyond our everyday words, they speak to that thirst that wells up in us before God. Simone Weil is a French mystic and philosopher, and she says, the beauty of the world is the tender smile of Christ to us through matter. I like that. And we're in a series as we move through Ken's latest book, and we're learning what it means to become our true selves. And today, we're going to continue this conversation as we talk about how beauty, beauty, experiencing beauty can help us to overcome shame. And we're going to center our attention to the Psalms today. And I want us to start in Psalm 27, 4. As it says in the message translation, I'm asking God for one thing, to live with him in his house my whole life long. I'll contemplate his beauty. I'll study at his feet. Being schooled by beauty. Psalm 27 speaks about being drawn to God's beauty, wanting to make our home in it. And the psalmist tells us that his security is rooted in the beauty of the Lord. He's trusting for God's goodness, a goodness he doesn't have. And he's trusting that it's going to show up all around him in the exuberance of the earth. It helps him to take heart and not quit. This is a gift with us as well. Take heart, friends. Don't quit. Beauty is all around us. And I have a picture here of some beauty here in British Columbia. Have you ever noticed when you are before something beautiful, it just grabs your attention, even if you can't quite put it into words, makes you feel like you just know you need it. It deserves your single-minded attention. Whatever's been distracting you on the outside, on the inside, it's like it just stills. And when beauty is in focus, we are quieted. This is by God's design. God's beauty awakens us to God's love. 
Ken writes in his book about this. God's beauty awakens us to God's love. And it doesn't make the hard things go away. No. Ken says, though we will continue to feel grief and sorrow, beauty can usher us into the grace and love of God. And this outer experience can do this inner work in us, and we can make ourselves available to it every day. I find that sometimes when I'm sitting in a beautiful place or I'm running in it or walking in it, I can almost feel like I'm being held. Do you know what that feels like? I love the way Nowen says, God is your safety and your home. You are well embraced. Sometimes when I am out in the outdoors, I feel as though I can hear God's whisper to me through the trees, through the leaves. I've got you. I wonder for each of you here today, what it is you would most need to hear from the God who deeply loves you and who holds you. Maybe even after our time together, you may be on a walk outdoors today, and as the wind rustles through the trees or as the light filters in through the autumn leaves, maybe you would hear something like, ah, my beloved, I can secure you. Or maybe it's something like, this beauty is for you. I'm making my home in you. Can I challenge you to strain your ear for what the one who loves you has to say to you all around you in God's creation? If that's the way God's voice sounds when we encounter beauty, shame has an altogether different voice. Do you know what that sounds like? If God's beauty awakens us to God's love, then shame clearly reveals our need for that love. I was reading in an article recently about a woman named Teresa Pham Carcillo, and she was writing about this generational grief that was in her family's story. She wrote about some of the losses and some of the ways that shame made this weight on her. She talked about her grandmother's story and her mother's story and her story. Things like her mom's many lost pregnancies and the sorrow she felt in that. And for her, as a woman who had experienced an early onset childhood cancer, Teresa said that it made her unable to have children herself. And she, she had this poignant way about talking about shame's voice. She said that, Oftentimes, she felt like it was up to her to make up the difference between what was and what it was her loved ones were still mourning. That's a lot of pressure. She said she felt like she lived with this terror that people would discover she wasn't whole, that she wasn't worthy, she wasn't lovable. That sounds like shame to me. And she had this powerful set of words to describe 
what this was like. She said, all sorts of things in this world behave like mirrors. All sorts of things in this world behave like mirrors. I think she's right. And then she said, I long to be more than a reflection of somebody else's fragmented parts. And then she ends with a bit of hope. She says about her younger self, she says, I want to soothe her and tell my younger self my most hard-earned truth, that she can be both loved and free. Shame makes us so thirsty to be loved and free, doesn't it? This has been true throughout the ages. When we read through the scriptures, we are reading about a thirsty people. (laughs) Christ knew it. Christ came so that people would discover that they were loved and could be free in him. And the Apostle Paul, who spoke to the church of Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 3, he was speaking to a thirsty people too. Listen to the good news he had for them. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. And then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Sounds like some good news for thirsty people. Anybody thirsty here today? I am. I am every day. But I've got good news. British poet and priest Gerard Manley Hopkins writes, The world is charged with the grandeur of God. All creation is telling us the story. God's gift of his glory and his love is around us all the time. And yet, he makes his home where? Christ makes his home in us. So God's beauty awakens us to God's love, and we can all be real and honest. Shame reveals our need for that love, amen? But I've got some other news. As I've prayed over this, I've discovered God's love frees us up to be small. (laughs) It's a little counterintuitive. What does that mean? As we're slowly learning these beautiful lessons of God's beauty and God's love, as we learn to let shame loosen its hold on us and we look to other mirrors to reflect who we are and who God is, as we do that, we discover God's glory, his grand beauty, and we're allowed, we are freed up to be small. Now, this isn't small like we are curled up in shame. We've been talking about that these last few weeks, haven't we? Ken writes, shame causes us both literally and figuratively to curl up in on ourselves. But beauty 
gives, uh, calls us out of our anxious self-absorption. Simone Weil also says that beauty requires us to give up our imaginary position at the center of it all. But let me explain. So if it's not small in shame and anxiety and self-absorption, what is this smallness I'm talking about? People who know me know that I love to always read and learn about the latest uh, research around things like awe. And I was reading a report that was written about some studies of, in the last 15 years, researchers from UC Berkeley put together a paper with the John Templeton Foundation. And they were studying what are some of the patterns or common threads we see when people have walked through a beautiful forest or spent time in an extraordinary view. How does it change them? What does it do? Let me tell you about some of the patterns they saw. I don't think this is an accident. This is part of God's design. They found that people who experienced this vastness of an environment started to feel this this expansiveness of time, and then they felt a shrinking of self. They felt what the researchers called this phenomenon of small self because they were awakened to being part of something so much bigger and grander. They didn't have to be big. (laughs) And then there were these other patterns that showed that it actually started to change how they related to one another as well. They saw an increase in humility and generosity and, and saw an increase in social connectedness. And they saw a decrease in materialism and impatience and uh, individualistic thinking. Powerful. God's beauty transforming the way we relate to the world and to one another. When we discover God's beauty and radiance, we start to reflect something different. It may even change the way we experience discord and distance in our relationships. Beauty quiets us. I told you we were going to stay with the Psalms, and, and I want to read Psalm 34, 5 where David says, those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered in shame. Now, David had started out as somebody small, right? Fighting Goliath, God doing this big grand thing through him. And as he gained power, we learn that he was someone who also gave his life over to the destruction of adultery and violence. But that's not the end of the story. David was also a forgiven man, a loved man, and we could say he was thirsty. Remember that psalm I opened up with? Oh, Lord, I ask this one thing, that I would be in your house at home with you, learning about your beauty. I'll study at your feet. We could say David was thirsty, and he was slowly learning, and so do we. And the radiance of God was transforming him, and shame didn't get to end the story. God's power was made alive in him, and it had more power and radiance than the selfishness and the unfaithfulness in David's life did. That's true for you and me as well. God can transform our brokenness. He can, and he does. So how can we do that? 
How can we make ourselves part of what God is doing in this world? In Colossians 1.15, we read that Christ is the visible likeness of the invisible God. And so we learn as God's people that Christ is reflecting the Father, and as we spend time with Christ, we reflect Christ, and we bring that beauty, that radiance into the world. And we get to be just one small part. We don't have to be big and grand because we're a part of something big and grand. We get to be small. We get to just be a part of it. And it reminds me that we need one another. I need you and you and you. God's beauty reflected in each of you and in me. Together, we are reflecting some of God's grand beauty into this world. Now, I'll be honest. As I ask the Lord how I can reflect better this small part, like a a small note being played in this beautiful symphony that God's doing around us, when I lead, I am tempted to think it's all up to me. Does anybody relate to that? It can feel like, oh, now that God's done this work in me, I got to show up and bring enough of God's beauty and God's light into the room. And every time I speak before you or I lead a family workshop or I lead a retreat far away, shame has some things it says to me about what I have to do. And God and I have these long conversations where I am slowly learning that it's not my beauty everyone's looking for. (laughs) That's what I hear the Lord say. It's not your beauty. It's always mine, Ash. It's always mine. You get to just be loved and free. That's good news. So some days we need reminders from one another when we put that weight and that pressure on ourselves and shame starts to speak its voice in our story and we need to be reminded, hey, you're just one flower in the garden. (laughs) God's creating all of this beauty for us to enjoy. And some days maybe you feel a little bit more like, ah, today I'm just one petal. That's about what I can do, Lord. (laughs) It's a good thing we have each other. It's a good thing. I love the way John Mark Comer speaks about getting out from under this weight of pressure that we put on ourselves. He says, as we come to a place of freedom, our failures slowly lose their power over us, as do our successes. We get out from under the tyranny of other people's opinions, their disapproval or approval of us, free to just be us, the mixed bag we are. Nothing more than children with our Father, adopted into love, free to be in process, yet to arrive, and that's okay. In silence and solitude, our souls finally come home. Amen. So how do we do this? How do we come home? How do we experience God's beauty in a way that changes us? I want to send you out with just two suggestions, and they're easy to remember. Pay attention and invite others in. Pay attention and invite others in. What do I mean by that? 
Both of these suggestions come from, stem from a retreat that I was just recently leading on Keats Island. I don't know how many of you have been to Barnabas. Barnabas Landing is a beautiful retreat center, and I was leading a mother and child retreat there with teens and preteens as well. And I would do these wrap-up exercises and experiences, and I was challenging them to pay attention and to invite others in. Now, Barnabas is a place of dreams every time. I love their vision. They they believe in God's beauty extended to one another, radical hospitality, and also earthy encounters with God and with others. This retreat was no different than that. And as I was challenging people to pay attention to God's beauty, I told everyone in the room they needed to go find a place and be a starfish. And they looked at me like I was crazy. And the reason I told them to do this was because years ago, I had gone on a long trail run, and I came to a trail along a lake that I would always run lost in thought, and there was a man taking up almost the entire trail. And he wasn't doing it while he was running or walking. No, he was lying in the middle of the trail like a starfish. And when I first saw him, my thought was, I hope he's not dead. And my second thought was, wait a second, he could be dangerous. I hope I won't be dead. But once I realized that he was just a friendly guy who had stopped in the middle of his day to watch and pay attention to the clouds rolling overhead, from that moment on, I just called him the starfish guy. And at this retreat, I told the parents and the teens and the preteens, I want you to get out of your chair and go find a place and be the starfish guy. Pay attention with God's beauty all around you. And I was thinking about this when I was reading Ken's book and the chapter on beauty, because Ken asks this question, how can we get into the path of beauty every day? And my answer is, be the starfish guy even if it startles people nearby. So that's my first suggestion. Pay attention. And then one of our other exercises, our wrap-up sessions, I, I'll admit they were always asking me if they could do the starfish again. They loved that. But I asked them to think about the way that God invites us into security and safety with him. I was reading from Psalm 91, where it speaks of God as our refuge. But in the New International Reader's Version, I found this beautiful way, and I've shared this with a few of the Momentum Moms as well. It says in Psalm 91, I will say about the Lord, he is my place of safety. He is like a fort to me. He is my God. And when I read that, I thought, We're not just going to talk about this. We're going to do it. And with Pastor Betsy's help, who was with me on this retreat, and Danielle from our West Side tent location, the three of us, we handed out blankets and tea lights, and we challenged them to build forts as families and to get inside. I have a beautiful picture of just one of the forts there alongside that beautiful view. They were throwing their blankets. Can you imagine it? Inviting others in, teenage boys praying for their moms inside their forts. Preteen girls doing the same and vice versa. Friends, 
my challenge to you, invite others in. Build forts. You might not use blankets and tea lights, but we can pay attention to God's beauty in a way that doesn't just stay with us. We can invite one another's small selves <laughs> into safe, sacred spaces. Maybe you won't use a blanket. Maybe you use a picnic bench with a coffee in hand and pay attention to how God is showing up in your life and in your soul friend's life and share it together. Easy to remember. How do we allow the experience of God's beauty to overcome shame in our stories? Be the starfish guy and build forts. Invite others in. Let's pray. Lord God, I pray that you would continue your work in us as your people. Lord, help us to stay thirsty, thirsty for your beauty, and help us to remember we can live loved and free, and shame doesn't get the last word. Help us to look to you in your radiance and reflect your love and goodness, a goodness we don't have, but you do. Help us to remember we can stay small, and we can pay attention and invite others in. Amen. <laughs>